hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us. Whether you are on-site or online, you are part of our church family. And I just heard we've got Terry from New Mexico worshiping with us, as well as hundreds of others. So if you are here in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family today. So glad you guys are joining us, and if you're new, my name's Chad, and you're here on a great Sunday because we're launching a new teaching series today called Coming Up for Air. Now, when you hear that phrase, coming up for air, what comes to mind? I'll let you know what pops into my mind. I think about when I was a kid, and I would go swimming with my friends, and we would play this game, you guys probably did it too, of who could hold their breath the longest. And the rules are pretty simple. You just go underwater, whether it's two of you or five of you, however many, and you just see whoever pops up first. That person loses, and then the last person to stay under, that guy wins. And so I remember playing this game, and if you ever played it, you know what it's like to long for air. You know what it's like to just hope that the other people that you're against will pop up so that you can rise to the surface as well and find some relief. We've all been there before because we understand you can't hold your breath forever. And when I think about that phrase, coming up for air, I think about the season that we've been in. You know, for the past year, two years almost now, I just feel like that as a culture, We've been holding our breath, longing for some relief, hoping that things will change, hoping that things will one day be different. We've been holding our breath forever, feeling as if that we're underwater, and the culture just keeps throwing more currents in our direction, and it seems like that we just can't get ahead. And just like that game as that we played when we were kids, we can't hold our breath forever, whether it's emotions or our feelings or our mental state or our physical health, we can't hold our breath forever. Eventually, we've got to come up for air. Now, some people want to act like that it's all okay. Some people want to act like they can just keep going and hold their breath forever. But when I think about those people, I'm reminded of a clip from the show Friends. Now, let me just say as I get started, I am not endorsing everything that takes place in the show Friends, okay? Don't send me any emails. I don't endorse everything that's on any show that's on TV, okay? Honestly. But I do remember this clip very, very plainly. And it's when Joey is actually saying that he's holding his breath for four plus minutes. Joey has been holding his breath for almost four minutes. <laughs> Dude, are you trying to kill me? I love that. You're trying to kill me, and it's a great line, but it's also true. By the way, Chandler just knows Joey so well, doesn't he? You can't hold your breath forever. Eventually, you got to come up for air. So where are you right now? Emotionally speaking, relationally speaking, mentally speaking, physically, spiritually? Do you feel like that you're underwater? Well, if you do, this series that we're launching today is for you. And I want to let you know two truths as we get started. And the first is this, you are not alone. Right now, the person that is sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, they have at one time felt as if that the pressures of life have been great and like they're being pushed down. 
Maybe they're feeling that way right now. We've all been there. We all have had seasons and moments in life when we feel like the world around us is getting the best of us. And it can happen to the best of us. I mean, look at these words from the Apostle Paul. He writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. He's writing about some of his ministry work that he did in Asia. And listen to what he says. We were so discouraged. We were experiencing so much pressure that we despaired of life itself. If that can happen to the Apostle Paul, this great man of God who God inspired to write like over half of our New Testament, it can happen to me. And it can happen to you as well. So if you're feeling overwhelmed right now, you are not alone. And then there's another truth I want you to know right as we get started, and it's this. You're not without hope. You see, the whole reason why Jesus came was so that we could breathe the air of heaven, so that we could live a new kind of life, a life where the world doesn't get the best of us, a life where we don't always have to live for the expectations of the culture around us, which are unhealthy expectations. Jesus came to give us a new way of life, and that's why he asked this question of us. He says, are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion? Now, before I go any further and read the rest of Jesus' words here, let me just see here in a second by a show of hands if you, over the past two weeks, have felt tired, worn out, or burned out. Now, he's talking about religion here because the religious people were putting all these unhealthy expectations and pressure on them. That Those pressures weren't necessary. But let me just ask you, has somebody put unhealthy expectations on you? Have you felt tired, worn out, burned out, if you have felt any of those things for the past two weeks, just put your hand up real high in the air. I'll be the first to put my hand up. Look around. You are not alone. And in the first century world, when Jesus asked this question, all their hands would have gone up too. And so he goes on to say, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Isn't that awesome? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Watch how I live life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, if you come to me, you can take a deep breath. You can stop trying to compete with the rest of the world and compare yourself to everyone else. And you can actually breathe in the breath of heaven. And Jesus, when you look at his life, he was a fresh, he was a, he was a breath of fresh air to the world around him. He lived differently because he didn't live to please the people around him. He lived for an audience of one, his heavenly father. And he knew that as long as he understood his identity through God's eyes, it didn't matter what anyone else thought of him. Jesus lived with this constant calm in the midst of a chaotic world. And here, here's the great thing about it. He says we can live that way too. Did you catch what he said? He said, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, how I live life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, you can live a different rhythm in life. My rhythm 
And you won't have to constantly try to live these unhealthy rhythms that this world wants you to live. Those, that type of life isn't sustainable, but my life, the life that I want to offer you, is one where you can breathe easier and yet accomplish more. See, what Jesus here is trying to let us know is his way of life is not going to be without pain or suffering. It's not that his way of life is always going to be full of comfort. In fact, he uses the phrase here that we are to, that we are to work with him, if you notice that. Now, I, I've been using the message paraphrase here because I really like the rich language that Eugene Peterson uses. But if you go back to the NIV, you will notice that it says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, what Jesus here is saying is, this life that you're going to live with me, it's going to be some work because what was a yoke? A yoke was a farming tool that was used to do work, farm work, plowing and so forth. Jesus here isn't saying that our life is going to be just total comfort. He didn't say, take my lazy boy chair upon you. And he didn't say, take my mattress upon you. He said, take my yoke because we're going to plow through life, but we're going to do it together. And when you do it with me, you're going to accomplish a lot more and you're, you're going to be able to breathe easier as you do it. And I don't know about you, but I think that's awesome. And right now, as we enter 2022, that's what I need to hear. And when I think about what Jesus here is trying to teach us, I picture some whales. Now, this may not be a great analogy, but this is how I process things, okay? If you've ever seen whales in real life, you know they are beautiful, majestic, giant creatures. And they spend the majority of their time underwater, but they're mammals like us. So they need air, they need oxygen to breathe, to survive. And so ever so often, they have to rise above the surface to get some air in order to live under the surface. And here's the thing, when they do that, when they regularly get air like they need to, they don't just survive under the water, they thrive. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching us to do here. He's saying, if you will follow my way of life, I will show you a rhythm for life where you can regularly come up for air and breathe the air of heaven so that you won't just survive in this life down here, but you can thrive. Because our circumstances are challenging at best down here. But we can thrive when we regularly, intentionally, continually come up and breathe the air of heaven. And that's why over and over again in Jesus' teachings, he gives us these countercultural principles to remind us how to live differently, how to live his way of life so that we will not let the currents of our culture get the best of us. And one of those occasions is found in Luke chapter 10, and that's what I want to look at today. As Jesus has to remind one of his closest friends how to breathe the air of heaven. Now, outside of Jesus' disciples, probably the people that he was closest to were three siblings, two sisters and their brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus was extremely close to these siblings, this family. He spent a lot of time with them. He often visited in their home. He had meals with them. He spent the night at their house with his disciples because they lived in this village called Bethany that was just outside of Jerusalem. So a lot of times when he would travel back and forth to Jerusalem, Jesus would stay with his family. He was extremely close with them. And on one of the early visits that Jesus made to their house, we see something interesting happen. Take a look at this, Luke chapter 10. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I'm sure many of us can relate to what Martha is going through, especially after going through this busy holiday season that we've just experienced, right? Martha has a house full of people. They've been traveling, and they're hungry, and she wants to be a good host. And here's the thing. These aren't just any guests. This is Jesus and his disciples, and everybody's been talking about Jesus. I mean, there's probably no more prominent figure in this region at this time in history than Jesus, and people have been talking about him saying he's a prophet sent from God. Some people have been saying maybe he's a long awaited Messiah. So when the Son of God comes over for a visit, you don't feed him leftovers, okay? Martha wants to make a good impression. And Martha doesn't want to mess this thing up. Because another thing you need to know is that in this culture, in ancient Jewish culture, hospitality was extremely important. If you are not a good host, there could be disgrace placed upon your entire family. And if you are a really, really bad host, your entire community could be disgraced. There's all these cultural pressures that Martha is facing right now. All these expectations that have been placed on her. And so Martha gets a little overwhelmed. And so she's looking around and she's seeing that all this work needs to be done and she gets a little bit upset because her sister isn't helping her out. And I want you to notice a key word in this passage is Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha feels like she has to do this, like she doesn't have a choice. This is what's expected of her. This is what everybody is waiting for. She feels the pressure of all the eyes that are on her right now. This is what she feels like she has to do out of obligation. And so as she is feeling this pressure and the timers in the kitchen are going off and there are buzzers everywhere and she's trying to make sure she gets the the rolls out of the oven and the desserts are cooling and the table is set and she's trying to get all the preparations made, she looks and there is her sister Not helping out at all, but sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus teach. And Martha's frustration comes out. Did you catch what she said to Jesus? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, Martha's tone here isn't great. Because when you look at what she says here, first of all, she says, Jesus, don't you care? Now, come on. Of course Jesus cares. She's accusing Jesus of not caring about her. We know that's not true. So either she doesn't know Jesus that well yet, or she's just so frustrated she's not even making sense. You ever been there? And so she's upset here. And then she goes on to give Jesus a command. She like orders Jesus around. She says, tell her to help me. Side note, if you ever get to the point in life that you are ordering God around, you're not in a healthy spot, okay? And that's Martha here. She's distraught. She's irritated. She's stressed out. And she's letting everyone know it. Now, even though Martha's tone isn't great, we might think that Jesus could also understand her pain. And it wouldn't be surprising to me, at least, if Jesus responded by saying, 
Martha, calm down. Don't get that upset. It's all right. But I get it. Mary, would you mind helping out your sister? I mean, that's what some of us would do, right? We would want to play the role of the peacekeeper, right? How many of you guys, that's your role at Christmas, to play the role of peacekeeper when your family gets together because you know somebody's going to bring up politics or some other subject, and there's going to be a fight that breaks out, and it's your job to change the subject, right? How many of you guys would do that? We, we Probably a lot of us would. And so it wouldn't be that far of a stretch for us to imagine Jesus doing something like that, but Jesus is Jesus, and he doesn't. Instead, you know what Jesus does? He takes a side, This is how he responds. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Look at this word here, chosen. I think Jesus here is letting us know something. He's letting us know that how we respond to our circumstances in life It's always a choice. We're always given a choice. Now, we can't always control the circumstances that we're dealt, but we can always choose how we respond to those circumstances. Guys, none of us wanted COVID-19 to come into our culture, did we? Yet it's here, and it's still here. None of us thought it would even be here that long, but it's here. We can't control the fact that it's here, but we can control how we respond to it. If things are going bad at your work right now, maybe it's not your fault at all. Maybe your company is being bought out or there's a change in leadership. Maybe you can't control what's going on at your place of work at all, but you can control how you respond to it. If somebody else treats you poorly, you can't help how somebody else treats you sometimes. But you can control how you respond to it. We can't always control the circumstances around us, but we can always control how we respond to it. And that's true also with the way that we feel, our emotions. We can't always control how we feel. Sometimes we feel down and we just can't explain it. Sometimes we get mad before we even realize it. We can't always control how we feel in the moment, but we can control how we respond to those emotions. And sometimes the feelings that we get, well, they're based on our circumstances. And so just a change of circumstances will help that out. But sometimes how we feel is more serious than that. Sometimes it's a biochemical thing. And we can't help that either. See, our brains, God created our brains to produce this thing called serotonin. And sometimes our brains get low on serotonin. And it's no more wrong for you to be low on serotonin than for somebody to be low on insulin. It's not our fault. It just it happens sometimes because of our physical makeup, because of the situations that we find ourselves in. And in those moments, we can either ignore our feelings or emotions and let our feelings and emotion continue to control us and be toxic, or we can respond in a healthy way and get the help that God offers. Whether that's talking to somebody, whether that's seeking professional counseling, whether that's seeking medical help, because God has given us brains to develop awesome medications to where we can get our serotonin levels balanced again. Whatever it is, don't ignore it. It's our choice to respond to those things. And God will provide the help that we need if we will seek it. And so Jesus lets Mary, lets Martha know that Mary made the right choice in this moment. And he says, Mary chose what's better. 
That's another thing I want for us to get here. Sometimes in life, the decisions that we're faced with are not decisions between what's good and what's evil, but they're decisions between what's good and what's better, what's good and what's best. See, it wasn't sinful for Martha to want to be a good host. Nothing sinful about that, nothing wrong about that, unless she made that an ultimate thing, more important than what really mattered. You see, when you make a good thing an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to be successful in life and have a solid career, but if you start to put your career above God or put your career above your family, it can become a destructive thing. There's nothing wrong with having money. Jesus says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money in and of itself, but when you start to love it above God and it starts to control your life, a good thing can become a destructive thing. Look at sex. Yeah, that's right, I said it in church. Sex was created by God to be a good thing within the context that he designed it for. And when you have sex within the context that God created it for, it is a beautiful, awesome thing. Can I get an amen? But when you make it your God and it controls you and you do it outside of the boundaries that God has established, it can be a very, very destructive thing. Let me give you another example. I've said this before, and I will keep saying it. I've said this to our church elders. I've said this to our staff. I do not believe that God wants me to neglect my family in order to be a successful minister. I don't believe that that's what God wants. I love you guys, but I don't love you that much, okay? <laughs> I believe that God wants me to be the best husband that I can be to Allison, the best dad that I can be to Addie and Alex, and he also wants me to be a good minister. But if I ever start to neglect my family as the spiritual leader of our home in order to spiritually lead this church, then something's out of balance. Something isn't right. And is there anything wrong with me preaching and being a leader in the church? No, I think that's what God wants me to do. But... When I start to make that an ultimate thing, and that starts to control me, it can be a destructive thing. And I have seen, I know preachers, and you guys probably do too, who were great preachers, but they lost their families. And that's not, I'm going to try everything I can for that not to be me. I tell our staff all the time, if you're not winning at home, you're not winning. So what I try to do is I try to be first and foremost a follower of Jesus and when I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus, then he will transform my life, he will guide me, and he will teach me how to be the best husband I can be, the best dad that I can be, and the best minister that I can be. But it's because he is my first priority. So what Martha here is doing, it wasn't wrong in and of itself. Besides the fact she had made this an ultimate thing and she was missing what was most important. Because what's the ultimate goal of the Christian life? It's to become more like Jesus. And you can't become like Jesus if you don't spend time with him. Because if you don't spend time with him, you can't hear what he wants you to do. And that's why I love how the passage says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. See, Mary wants to soak up this moment, this once in a lifetime, once in a, once in a history of the human race chance to listen to the Son of God physically speak to you. She doesn't want to waste this moment. But Martha, she's worried about the food getting fixed. 
She's missing what's most important. Guys, you can't become like Jesus without spending time with him. Because living a full life depends on your soul being in tune with God. Guys, right now, if you want to experience contentment in life, if you want to experience true rest, the rest like what Jesus talks about, rest that doesn't go away, if you want to experience peace, if you want to get out of the rat race, if you want to breathe the air of heaven, you know where it starts? It starts with making intentional time for Jesus in your life. Because you can't live a full life without your soul being in tune with Him. See, that's why in the Old Testament, God commanded His people to take a Sabbath day's rest. And that word Sabbath actually just means stop. In other words, you are to stop from your busy schedule to spend time with God. And the Bible teaches us that we are to that we are to take rest just to enjoy life and recuperate and all that kind of stuff, but you can take all the vacations in the world. If you're not taking time to stop and intentionally have time with God, all the vacations in the world are not going to give you lasting rest. You may get instant gratification, but you're not going to get lasting satisfaction, lasting rest. And some of us, we treat our time with God kind of like we treat a stop sign. We just kind of roll right through it, if you know what I'm saying. And you might be thinking, intentional time with God. Well, yeah, I come to church. Okay, great. I'm glad you come to church. I'm glad you're here most Sundays. But let me ask you, when the worship is going on, are you focused on God or are you thinking about what you're going to do after services? When the sermon's going on, are you actually like trying to hear God speak to you through his word or are you on your phone looking up Facebook? I know you're not looking up the Bible app. I know what you guys do on your phones, okay? You're like, man, I'm caught. Yes, you are, okay? So... Are you really paying attention or are you distracted? See, this is the term that's used to describe Martha. She's distracted. It's a Greek word that means to drag around. In other words, Martha is dragging around all these cultural expectations, all these pressures, and it's keeping her from actually seeing what she needs to see, from focusing on what's most important. Let me ask you, what are you dragging around? Because I believe the greatest danger to our faith today isn't the temptation to deny Jesus, but it's allowing our hearts to be distracted from Jesus. Most of us will never out and out deny Jesus. Some may, but most of us won't. But all of us, at some point or another, have been distracted from him to where we haven't been focused on what matters most. And when we are distracted, it can destroy our lives because here's what happens. See, when we're distracted, first of all, we cheat our relationships. You cannot have healthy relationships and not be right with God. When you aren't right with God, it will affect every relationship that you have. And we see this happening in the passage that we just read. Martha loved Mary. They were close. When you read about them in Scripture, Martha and Mary are close. They're sisters. They love one another. They have each other's best interest at heart. And yet in this moment, Martha snaps at Mary. Why? Because she wasn't right with God. She wasn't focused on what mattered most. She also kind of snaps at Jesus too. And we know Martha loved Jesus, right? But why is it that she's just taking her frustration out on everyone around her? It's because she's not right with God in this moment. It starts with us getting right with God. 
But when we're distracted, something else happens. When, when we're distracted, we can't see what God wants us to see. Remember what I said just a second ago. This was a once-in-history kind of moment where you could actually sit at the feet of Jesus and physically listen to him teach. How cool would that have been? And Mary takes advantage of that, and Martha's worried about not serving leftovers. Martha missed this opportunity, and in life, when we're focused on the wrong things, we will miss the opportunities that God is putting right in front of us. But then something else happens. When we're distracted, our lives are hurried. Our lives are rushed all the time. Distracted people are hurried people. You know why? Because we're chasing after all this stuff, trying to find some inner sense of contentment and peace and rest, and we can't find it. Like I said, it's short-term gratification, but we lack long-term satisfaction. And so we continue to just chase after all this stuff and pursue and run after all this stuff, trying to find what we're missing, and what we're missing has been right in front of us all along. It's Jesus. And we live in a culture that's like this. Everybody wants to just chase after all this stuff, trying to find what they're missing on the inside, and they live their lives hurried. The one thing that you will discover about Jesus when you study his life, and we're going to talk more about this in this series, Jesus was never in a hurry. When you look at his life, you never see Jesus in a hurry. In fact, Jesus was never concerned about the arrival time. He was more concerned about the journey because it was along the way, it was during the journey that you could grow and learn. And so often, we're just worried about the arrival time. We just got to get there and get there as fast as we can. And God's saying, slow down because I'm trying to teach you something along the way. And if you don't believe that we live in a culture that is always in a hurry, well, let's do a little test just to see, okay? When you pull out your phone to drive a long distance and you turn on your maps, you know, to get your GPS going and you put in an address and it gives you an estimated time of arrival. How many of you have ever thought, I'm going to beat that time? Have you ever done that? Put your hand up, okay? Yeah, look around. Have you ever been driving and as you're driving, you actually cut through a parking lot or a side street to avoid a red light? Anybody ever done that before? Okay, look around at the hands. How many guys have ever multitasked while you're driving, doing things that aren't part of driving, but you're doing them in your car, yeah. Anybody ever tried to change clothes while they're driving? You have any hands? Anybody want to admit to that? How many of you have ever been driving a long distance and you've had to slap yourself in order to stay awake? Anybody done that? Man, that is scary. I'm staying away from you people, okay? How many guys have ever been in a, in a grocery store and as you're waiting in line in the grocery store, you start to check out the other lines because you think they're moving faster? Anybody done that? You ever got up to the cash register and the person in front of you pulls out a checkbook and you groan out loud because you know it's going to take long? Anybody done that? How many guys have ever left church a little bit early because you want to beat everybody else in the parking lot? Ever done that? Now I'm meddling, right? Listen, we live in a hurried culture. And when we are constantly rushing, we end up exhausted. And exhaustion is a gateway to unhealthy behavior. We will do things when we're tired, when we're exhausted that we wouldn't do otherwise. I think that's Martha in our passage here. I think Martha, looking back on how she reacted in that moment, probably is thinking, man, I should not have done that. But she let her exhaustion get the best of her. And that leads me to the last thing. When we are distracted, rest becomes a moving target because we never actually find it. 
We're distracted from the one thing that will give us rest, a relationship with Jesus. And so we continue to search for rest in all the wrong places, and we never actually find it. And we think if I just do more or accomplish more, achieve more, then I will find rest. But all we end up doing is wearing ourselves out. See, it's like these tennis balls up here. Let's say that these tennis balls represent the expectations, the pressures of this world. And so I think, well, if I do this, and I start juggling this tennis ball, then I'll find happiness and peace and rest, but it doesn't satisfy. So then I'm like, well, maybe I need to add this to my plate. And, well, I'll start juggling both these things together, and maybe this will bring me peace, but that doesn't work either. So then somebody says, what you need to do is try this. And so we start trying to, I can't juggle, by the way. So we, we start, so don't, don't, be, <laughs> don't get too excited here, okay? Uh, so we start trying to juggle all this stuff, and as we do, we drop the ball. Now, I sent out an email to our staff this week asking if anybody knew how to juggle. And every single member of our next-gen team let me know that they can juggle. I guess before you can graduate with a youth ministry degree in Bible college, you have to learn how to juggle. So I've asked Nathan Stain to come and join me on stage. Can we give, can we give it up for Nathan as he comes on stage? And Nathan, I just want to... I want you to show off your juggling skills here just a little bit. He says he can do it. Let's see if he can. Are you ready? Now, how cool is that? But here's the thing, Nathan. That's not going to satisfy you. So let's see if you can add something else to your plate. Can you add another one? I'll try. Okay. Oh, almost, almost. Okay. I won't, I won't try, try five. Go ahead and just do three again. That's fine. We'll, we'll stick with three, okay? Now, he's doing that pretty well. A lot better than I did, right? I can't even try to do that. But how long do you think Nathan can go doing this? How long, Nathan, do you think he can go? Well, I can handle a lot more than you can, so. Well, I'm, that's probably true, yes. I'm not denying that. But, well, let's just see. I, you, I can keep it up for a while. But, yeah, uh, you guys aren't going anywhere this afternoon, right? Let's just <laughs> see how long he can go without getting tired. We all know eventually Nathan's going to wear out. And what Jesus is saying is, stop juggling. Stop juggling and come to me. And you don't have to, yeah, you can throw it away. That's fine. You don't have to keep all this stuff going because in the end, all that stuff is going to be trash. The only thing that you need is me. And when you come to me, you don't have to keep up with everybody else trying to compete, trying to compare. You can have lasting rest. Let's give it up for Nathan. He did an awesome job, didn't he? The more we try to juggle, the more we struggle. I once heard somebody say this, and I'm going to leave you with this thought. Think holy, not hurry. I know it's a little bit cheesy, but I think it's a good point. When I say holy, I'm not talking about um, self-righteousness or being churchy in the way that the world defines it. I'm talking about in a biblical sense where it means to be set apart, to be different. Live a different kind of life. The life of Jesus where he puts rest into our regular rhythm, where he teaches us how to come up for air. Think holy, not hurry. Because when you stop trying to juggle all this stuff that the world tells you to juggle, and you can actually focus on what really matters, not only will you not be exhausted anymore, 
but you will be able to achieve more lasting things in life because you will be finding your identity not by competing with everyone else, but you will find your identity in God and God alone. And you will know the purpose for which you were created and you will find rest for your soul. So, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? What is it that you're carrying around right now? What is it you're dragging around like Martha that's keeping you from being focused on what really matters? Whatever it is, and it may be different for all of us, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are tired and are carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, for the start of this series, as we get to talk about some of these important subjects of finding true rest in you. And we know it doesn't matter how much we have in life or how many vacations we take, if you are not first in our lives and our hearts, we will never find lasting rest. So, Father, I pray that we be a church that takes intentional times to stop every single week, every single day, and acknowledge you listen to you so that we can find rest for our souls. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.